Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Wednesday, February 15th, 2023. This is Shannon. Tonight I am here with Robin, Stacy, and Natalia, and we are talking about body positivity and self-acceptance tonight. So Natalia is going to start us off, followed by Stacy, me, and lastly Robin. But before any of that, we, of course, have to do the usual housekeeping information. You can find us on Facebook by searching for the Book Bistro podcast. Once there, you can post to our timeline. You can also message us privately. If you want a more social interaction, you can join our Facebook listener group, which is pretty quiet at the moment, though we are looking at some ways of possibly revamping it. If Facebook is not your thing and you still would like to hang out with us, check us out on our WhatsApp group. You can subscribe to that either by messaging us through Facebook or by sending us an email, and one of us will be happy to add you. If you're looking to get a hold of us via email, you can do that by contacting the Book Bistro Podcast at gmail.com. So my first book of tonight is one of my favorite books ever. And that's, those are big words, but it was uh, recommended to me. And I didn't know what it was about at all when I went into it. Uh, But people were just saying how amazing, amazing it was. And oh my gosh, I read it and I've never forgotten everything about this book. And now it's a movie on Netflix and the movie is just so amazing as well. So this is Dumplin', book one in the Dumplin' series because this used to be a standalone and now she made it a series and all the books are awesome. I, I love it so much. This is by Julie Murphy. And this book is about Willa Dean Dixon, who is, she is quite overweight um, to the point where she has self-proclaimed herself to be fat girl. That's what she literally called herself. And she is super happy with that. And she um, is a huge fan of Dolly Parton. And she says, who cares about having the ultimate bikini body? Just put a bikini on your body, whatever it is. Like she is so secure of herself. And it's amazing because she's, you know, she's a teenager in high school. And her mother is a beauty queen uh, a former beauty queen of uh, former i think she's a former beauty pageant winner but and i think she runs the beauty pageant of the town and her best friend helen is gorgeous also and part of that entire world and you know this has basically always worked for willa dean she's been just fine with herself and with the people surrounding her until um will takes a job at harpies which is at the local you know, fast food joint, and she, uh, Bo, who is a doc, and she's really surprised to realize that Bo is attracted to her. Uh, she thinks it's kind of a joke, but he's, 
serious about liking her. And of course she likes him too. But instead of finding new heights of self-assurance in their relationship together, Will starts to doubt herself. So she decides that she's not going to let this take away the confidence she's always had. So she decides to do the most horrifying thing she could imagine, which is entering the mixed lover city beauty pageant along with several other unlikely candidates to show that she and her other misfits deserve to be up there as any pretty girl does. Um, And, uh, you know, she calls them twiggy girls. (laughs) So, um, Along the way, she will shock the hell out of her town and maybe herself, most of all. And this book is just, first of all, it's full of so many cool Dolly Parton songs. I am a Dolly Parton fan, can you tell? But um, the most unforgettable thing about this is the heroine and just how she slays all these, uh, you know, preconceived notions that people have, not only about her, um, but the stereotypes people, uh, I guess, put her under. And also how she stands up for herself and for other people is, I mean, even against her own mother, it's just so, so amazing. I wish that I had half of her strength and have her confidence. And let me tell you, after I finished this book, I felt so empowered. So it just, it's a book that just makes you feel so happy and so good. But at the same time, you can relate to all the negative feelings that come with uh, not being what's perceived as what you should be in every way, not not just physically, but just in every way that you could think of. It's amazing. I don't have enough words to say how amazing this book is. So this is Dumplin' by Julie Murphy, uh, Dumplin' book one. And if you haven't picked it up, you are in for a treat. Have you read um, I'll Be the One by Lila Lee? I have not but do you I want, should. I want to, you do. It is, it has a lot of the same, um, like the heroine here is very similar to what you're describing, um, in Dumplin', okay. but it is on a like K-pop, K-pop competition. I saw this. Yes. I read it a couple oh, years ago cool. when it first came out and it is absolutely amazing. So, This is a topic, these topics, both body positivity and self-acceptance are ones that I work on personally a lot. So I'm always looking for good, positive representations of these things. And one of the books that I felt really did this very well was The Hard Truth About Sunshine by Sawyer Bennett. And this book is about Christopher and he is um, a young 26-year-old veteran who returned from um, war as an amputee. Um, His body is quite scarred. And, you know, he had a really tough road when he came home. He was in the hospital for over a year and was basically abandoned by his family and um, the woman he thought he was going to marry. And so not only is he a veteran trying to figure out like what is next in his life, but he also is carrying around a bunch of anger and resentment and just dark, toxic, understandable, but dark and toxic feelings. 
And after an altercation that he gets in, he is required to either go to this, um, like, a, like a grief group, um, or he can go to jail. And he's like, well, shit, if I only have to go to like 12 weeks of this, like, you know, counseling group, I'll do that instead of going to jail. So he does good plan. And he meets a good plan. Right. And he meets this group of people who all are dealing with some pretty significant things in life. There's, um, a young, a young adult who, um, has terminal cancer. Um, there's a young woman with, um, some pretty significant depression and, um, suicidal, um, many suicide attempts. And then there's another young woman who, um, because of a medical reason is both losing her vision and has some other kind of health related side effects that are going along with this diagnosis. And, you know, Christopher gets to this group and he's just kind of like, what the hell? These people are all like freaking weird. You know, he calls the, the young guy with cancer, he calls him like soon to be dead kid or something. And he's just, he's not a very kind, he just doesn't think about anyone. He just doesn't have the capacity within himself at the moment to feel empathy for anyone because he's in such a dark place himself. But he goes to this group every week and, you know, is very reluctantly fascinated by the young woman who's losing her vision. So um, her name is Jillian. So it's, it's Christopher and Connor's the young man with cancer. Barb is the other woman in the group. And then there's Jillian and he's quite fascinated by her, like really kind of like Pollyanna-esque way of looking at life in a kind of like irritated, fascinated way. So Christopher is in this group and he's just doing like the bare minimum until um, the group kind of comes up with this idea by the group. I mean, Connor and Jillian that, you know, as Connor is, uh, has a terminal diagnosis, he has these things on his bucket list. He wants to see the ocean and he has some other things that he wants to do. And Jillian thinks it would be a great idea if this group all road tripped together and kind of checked off some of the things on Connor's bucket list while he is still well enough to travel. And at first, Christopher's like, well, why the hell would I want to go with these people like in a car, you know, for several days? Like that sounds horrifying. But the leader of the group says that she would give him credit for several weeks um, of the group therapy if he goes on this road trip. So then actually he could be done with this group. And he's like, okay. So they plot out their route and they, they start off as, you know, four people with nothing in common. And as they begin their trip together and kind of drive further away from home and go across country, they all start checking off things that they kind of would like to accomplish, you know, and um, kind of begin to learn more about each other. And they learn that they're not as disparate, not as, you know, weirdly different from each other as they thought. And they form this gorgeous bond as they kind of drive. And Christopher begins to not only learn things about the other people that he's traveling with, but also he begins to learn a lot about himself and his body and sort of his reasons for being just a giant asshole all the time. And like, why is that his defense mechanism? What is he trying to avoid? And that's all I'm going to say about the book right now. Um, It's just a really, really um, it's, it's told um, in single point of view. It's all from Christopher's point of view, which I find fascinating. 
um, usually a novel that has like romantic elements um, is either from uh, a dual point of view or, you know, but this is, this is exclusively his story. And it was, it's a very powerful book actually that I, I feel um, everyone should read. Um, it's not necessarily body positivity in the sort of like, you know, um, like positive fat representation that I, I typically read, but it's more about someone kind of finding and understanding and sort of like a comfort level with, with the body they have now. And also, again, lots of themes of self-acceptance in this book. Um, there is um, mention of suicide in this book, um, as well as some character death on page. So um, just, you know, uh, if you're someone who would like to check content warnings, I'd recommend doing that before starting out with this book. It's heavy and beautiful. And this book, again, is The Hard Truth About Sunshine by Sawyer Bennett. This has been on my TBR since Sarah first talked about it um, several years ago. And I keep meaning to read it. And then I keep like not because there's so many things to read, but I really do need to move this up closer to the top of my list. So my first book came out in the spring of 2022, and it is called Breathe and Count Back from 10 by Natalia Sylvester. Um, the title comes from what you're told when you're getting ready to go under anesthesia for surgery. Um, having had a couple of sinus surgeries, I, I know this drill a little bit, and I always tell you, take a deep breath and count backwards from 10. So this is a YA novel about Veronica, and she is 17, getting ready to enter her senior year of high school. She is a Peruvian-American immigrant. Um, her family came to Florida from Peru when she was pretty young, and she's kind of struggling to find her place, both in kind of the world at large, but also kind of within her family. She has hip dysplasia, and because of this, her doctors recommend that she spend a lot of time swimming, and this has kind of become her refuge. Her parents are pretty strict, and for most of her life, they have kind of taken control of like her body and the way her disability is treated, and now that she's getting older, you know, she's she's wanting to go off to college pretty soon. And she kind of feels like she needs to gain control of her life. Now, Veronica has long been fascinated with this kind of campy like theme park that exists near her home. It's called Mermaid Cove. And these young women dress up as mermaids. They have these very elaborate mermaid costumes and they perform in these giant like underwater tanks. And she really, really wants to be a mermaid, but she knows that her parents will not go for this. A, because they don't like the idea of like people, you know, seeing her in this costume in the water and B, they worry about the amount of stress that kind of physical activity will put on her body. But she goes behind their backs and auditions to be a mermaid. And this sparks like a whole bunch of character growth for her, 
um, growth within her family. And you really get to see who Veronica is like in the beginning of the book and how that changes by the time the book is done. It's set over a pretty brief period of time. Like it happens over the course of a summer. And it's one of those really transformative books where you really, you can feel the changes almost like as they're happening to the character. She starts out thinking that she wants like one specific thing and that she views her body in a specific way. But as events unfold, she realizes that maybe some of the things that she has thought she wanted and things that she thought she believed about herself and her body, maybe those things aren't quite as accurate as she thought. There's a lot here about consent, like treatment, consent to treatment, um, being able to, even as a teenager, to have control over your own body and that your parents, who obviously in this case want the best for her, still should not be able to take away her autonomy in these very serious situations like relating to her medical treatment. Um, I love this for kind of the like lighthearted, you know, mermaid stuff, but also for its depth and complexity, talking about being not only a person with a disability, but being an immigrant whose family has very different ideas about what it means to be successful than Veronica herself does. This is Breathe and Count Back from 10 by Natalia Sylvester. I love books that have that um, sort of like um, mermaid um, performance element to them. Yes. I find that very fascinating. I need to add this to my TBR. So the first book I want to talk about is called A Face for Picasso, Coming of Age with Cruzon Syndrome by Ariel Henley. This is a memoir written by a young woman, I think she's in her early 30s now, about the experience that she and her twin sister had being born with Cruzon syndrome. Cruzon syndrome is something that happens when a fetus is in utero It's a genetic alteration that happens that causes at least some of the skull sutures that would ordinarily be soft at the time of birth to be fused before the time of birth. And it also plays havoc with various bones in the face and other nifty things like that. So this book is about Ariel and her twin sister, Zan, which is short for Alexandra, about their experiences of living in a world that expects us all to look like a particular thing and being in this world looking like something people don't expect and something that people find distasteful to look at. 
They both had multiple reconstructive surgeries, both for medical and cosmetic reasons. The book is their journey of, I wouldn't say self-acceptance, but self-exploration. The experiences they had of being bullied, of being altered by surgeries and not really feeling as if they were real. Even wishing that they could go back to looking the way they had before. It's a book about love and confidence and struggle. And about how you can start to truly accept yourself. And a lot of times that can't really happen without the acceptance of other people. There's a strong thread here of love from their family, the friends that they met along the way who accepted them just as they are. Not in spite of, not because of, just because that's who they are. There's some interesting stuff here around Ariel's decision and her sister's decision to pursue cosmetic surgery as teenagers and the lengths that they went to to get that surgery, the numbers of doctors that they consulted, Barriers they had to transcend when they realized that the surgery wasn't possible. That the integral nature of the malformation of their face couldn't be changed. This is a short book. Most people read it within, most people I know that is, read it within maybe 24 to 48 hours of starting. It took me almost two and a half months because the things were so personal to me. And you might be able to tell that I, I still have a hard time talking coherently about this book. I haven't met anyone else who has this syndrome before this. I have it, or at least one related to it. People are kind of not sure about precise diagnoses, which don't really matter in the long run anyway. So it was interesting for me to read about Ariel and Zan's journey of going through all this medical treatment of thinking about beauty, of thinking about how they themselves looked. It was interesting for me to compare that and contrast it with my own journey. There were times when I said, oh, wow, this feels so familiar. 
and then times when it didn't feel feel familiar at all, which isn't really surprising. They're at least 10 years younger than I am. The syndrome manifested differently for them. And the medical options that were available that for them were different from those available to me. So if you want to read a memoir that really digs deep into questions of beauty standards and self-awareness and how love doesn't make everything better, but it sure makes everything a lot more bearable. Read A Face for Picasso, Coming of Age with Cruzon Syndrome by Ariel Henley. I read this on your recommendation. Can't remember now if it was like a year ago or a year and a half ago, but it was, I thought, so very insightful, um, very raw in places, but just incredibly full of of insight that I think a lot of people could benefit from reading. So my next book is by an author that many people like in this podcast. It's a relatively new author to me. Everybody talks about Spoil Alert. <laughs> it's true. And oh my God, well, Spoil, Spoil Alert. Alert is amazing. <clears throat> And all the subsequent books in that series are fantastic. I really wanted to bring attention to the gem that this series is because they really made me feel good. I remember just standing in the kitchen, cooking stuff and doing chores and listening to these books and just feeling so, I don't know, just good and positive and happy. Um, So this is uh, Teach Me. There's something about Marysburg Book One by Olivia Dade. And um, this is about two teachers of history. And they are both very passionate about this subject. Uh, And the teacher that has been a veteran at the school for many years is Rose Owens, who's basically been told that this new guy, Martin Krause, is arriving at her school and he's going to take over half her history classes because the administrator just did this to hurt her. So Rose is determined that she's just not going to let this affect her at all. And Martin has his own story. He was just divorced and he moved to this town to be close to his daughter, um, to live in the same town as his daughter because her mother, after they divorced, decided to move there with her. And I believe his daughter wants to go to college in uh, either the same town or a neighboring town. And he, he wants to be close to her. And uh, he's just so, so warm and so kind to Rose. And of course he has no idea that, you know, he's basically encroaching on her territory, stepping on her toes, teaching her the classes that she's passionate about. And she has a hard time keeping her distance from him, even though she's known around the school as the ice queen. But when she begins to see him for who he truly is, it's kind of hard to remain icy because it turns out that Martin is a man who's never been taught his own val- his own value as a person. And Rose, being the great teacher that she is, is determined 
meant to be the best at showing him uh, how how much he's worth. But on top of this, she's got her own lessons to learn about trust, vulnerability, and her past. So this book is basically about two people who are lost and in a point in their lives where uh, I don't know if they love themselves um, as much as they should or if they see themselves not only the way other people do, but as they are, which is really two amazing, amazing people. And I, I love how, you know, this book is called Teach Me. And they really do teach each other not so much about love uh, in the sense that romantic love, I guess I fall in love with you because you're awesome, but they help each other to see themselves, if that makes sense. They help each other to see themselves in a way that they never have in order to grow as people and accept that they are worthy and that they are great people for their own or within their own strengths and weaknesses. And there it's it's a very vulnerable um it's it's a very vulnerable book where each person has their own vulnerabilities and it's cool to see how these two uh come together and are able to find something in each other that makes them comfortable enough to be vulnerable and at the same time teach each other about loving themselves and then they're able to love each other. So this is Teach Me. Uh, there's something about Marysburg, uh, book one by Livy Dade. And I will say that all of this series has uh, books about some sort of acceptance. Um, you know, this one is loving themselves for who they are. Um, there are some that are about body acceptance, some about acceptance of illnesses. And it's just such a great, great series. I really recommend the entire thing. But my favorite was Teach Me. I love Olivia Dade. I, I think that she is a very talented author on many levels. I think she writes really um, complex, beautiful romances um, among yes. people that you would not necessarily think like, oh, those people might make a good match. So my second book tonight was such a happy surprise. I was trying to find something that um, was about body positivity and positive fat representation. And I stumbled across this book that I actually put on my TBR on its release date last summer, and I just hadn't gotten to it yet. And the reviews on it were a little mixed. So I'm like, oh, I don't know. But then I, um, I decided to try, it's a new author to me. So, you know, the, that can be hit or miss. Um, <clears throat> and so I decided to try after hours on Milagro Street. Pardon me, I don't have a good Spanish accent. I can't say it with the beauty it deserves. And it's by Angelina M. Lopez. And this book is such an unexpected gem. It's about um, a bartender named Alex, Alejandra. And Alex moved from her small town in Kansas and went off to Chicago where actually she got an award. She's known as the, um, the bitch of bartending. And yes. she's actually gotten some notoriety um, from the way that she handles customers. She just takes no shit. She's very in your face. Um, she'll put you in your place. She'll say really snide cutting things and she'll make you a damn good drink while she's doing it. And she actually got an award for this and, and was written up in some magazines. So she's you know, she's doing pretty good. But then um, her beloved grandmother um, 
falls and breaks her hip. And this kind of shakes Alex up pretty badly. And then um, some other things happen in Chicago and she ends up losing her job because of her bitch persona. And so she really at this point has no chance, no choice, but to go back to her small town in Kansas and her very large Mexican-American family to lick her wounds. But she decides that that's not actually how the story is going to go. She's going to come back and she's going to help her grandmother by she and her two sisters are going to take over the bar and she's going to turn it into this like destination bar in this small town where people are going to travel to come to this bar. And then the bitch of bartending is going to move on to something bitter, bigger and better once she's sort of rehabbed Loretta's, her grandmother's bar. And so she gets back to her small town where she's very rarely visited for the last 13 years since something happened that drove her away from her town and her family. And she decides that she's going to, you know, take over this bar and she's going to, you know, make it do all the things that she needs it to do for her. Well, she walks into the bar and basically encounters this very handsome, huge cinnamon roll of a professor who's in the bar. And she basically jumps him within the first five minutes of meeting him and is kind of using him to blow off steam. So, you know, this is a very different kind of romance from what I've read before. I mean, basically... And please forgive the uh, sort of crassness of my next description, but she acts like a total dick. And she basically jumps this guy, takes what she wants from him sexually, and then like basically zips up and walks away. But, you know, surprise, he's living in one of the two tenant bedrooms above the bar. And she's planning to live in the other one with the shared bathroom. And so there's no escaping from Professor Jeremiah Post who she meets in her grandmother's bar. But can we for a moment talk about Professor Jeremiah Post? Jeremiah Post is um, really into, um, well, he loves being a professor, he loves history, and he loves learning about history that's sort of not taught in your average high school class. And He's come to this small town because he's, you know, working at this like small prestigious college that's just outside of town. And he chooses to live above Loretta's, um, her family bar, because of her family and how they sort of embrace him and take him into their loud, chaotic kind of fold, if you will. And he's very protective of Loretta, who is Alex's grandmother and the rest of the lot loud large and boisterous family. And he also has ideas for the bar that he would like to do. He would like to own the bar and he would like to do something different to the building that respects the heritage of the family. And he thinks that Alex has swept into town and what she's going to do is going to hurt her family. And because the large and lovely Torres family is basically like the family he's never had, He wants to protect them at all costs, even if that means protecting them from Alex and her ideas. And so they go from, you know, meeting with a literal bang to being enemies or adversaries, at least, who both want this bar. But then there's this also this shadowy third party 
who is sort of like one of the small town evil royalty who thinks they're going to just swoop in and kind of take over and sweep this bar out from under Loretta and her family. And um, for reasons that I will not get into. And so even though they don't trust each other, Alex and Jeremiah begin to work together because they want at all costs to keep this bar from being kind of given to this horrible, horrible man for his stupid reasons. And this book is a lot about um, Alex and her very complicated relationship with her family, with her parents, grandmother, and sisters. It's about um, coming home to a place where you don't feel that you belong, but you have a lot of nostalgia for. And this book is also a lot about really interesting aspects of history and of all of these um, Mexican people who came up to this, uh, like the Midwest or the, the central states from Mexico at the beginning of the 20th century and basically built the entire railroad and lived in thriving communities, like along railroad lines as they built it. And, um, just history that I, I didn't know anything about that I found incredibly fascinating. And this book too, um, if we're talking about body positivity, it's about a woman who's unashamedly a plus size woman. And, um, her body is written about in beautiful, positive ways. And the hero, even when he is not trusting her and, um, is, is feeling kind of uncomfortable around her is incredibly attracted to this angry, complicated, gorgeous woman with her lush curves, big boobs, big butt, and, you know, amazing, um, floral sleeve of tattoos. And I really like that, you know, the fact that she's a plus size woman was referenced throughout the book, but not in a way where she was disparaged. It was used as part of, part of her power and her strength and her beauty was this body that she had, her strong and soft body that she used in many different, many different ways throughout the book. Um, <clears throat> there's also um, a paranormal element to this book that is not annoyingly overwhelming for those of you on this podcast, <clears throat> Shannon, <clears throat> who really don't enjoy ghosts. Um, it's, it's sort of like a background thing, but um, it helps to um, kind of learn a mystery about the history of the building where the bar Loretta's has been housed for the last 40 years um, in this historic area of Milagro Street. This book is everything. I don't want to give too much of it away. Um, I really, really liked that we have this heroine who's difficult to like. At first, um, I like that the hero is a complete gentle cinnamon roll. I love the intense family dynamics. Um, I love that I think we're going to get books about both of um, Alex's sisters. I think it's going to be a trilogy. And I just really, really enjoyed um, learning more about an area of history that was not taught to me in my school. So um, if you want to read a romance that's very different than your average and very deep and emotional and where um, the sex scenes get more sexy and really interesting as the book progresses and with some really, really nice um, positive fat representation, I highly recommend that you pick up After Hours on Milagro Street 
and it is by Angelina M. Lopez. I am waiting for this at my public library. So my next pick tonight is Real Hollywood Renaissance Book One by Kennedy Ryan. I feel like it's been a while since I've talked about Kennedy Ryan on the podcast, and that's never a good thing because she's just excellent. So I love so many things about this book. Like this is such a lush depiction of like Hollywood and romance and history. And there's just so much that I love. Um, so it's kind of hard to talk about. But this is the story of Neva. Neva has all these big dreams about being on Broadway. Um, when we first meet her, she's an understudy. And she really wants like her moment to shine. And she's expecting that that will happen on the Broadway stage. But she comes to the attention of Canon Holt, who is producing this like biopic about a historical black woman in Hollywood. And she really catches his attention. She, he wants her to star in this film. And at first, you know, Neva isn't, isn't fully convinced that like this is the best direction for her career to go. But she realizes pretty quickly that this is like her moment in the sun. And so, you know, this whirlwind, she goes to Hollywood, they start filming, but there are some things that Neva is keeping to herself. Um, She has an autoimmune disorder and this kind of puts in jeopardy her, her career because, you know, she's very, very busy, very stressed out by this job. She loves it, but it's a lot of work. And suddenly she finds herself having a flare up of her condition. And now she has to really evaluate like how she feels about her job, herself, and also about these feelings that she's having for Canon. Um, she doesn't think it's appropriate to have feelings for this guy who is, you know, for all intents and purposes, like her boss. Um, but they have this undeniable connection. One of the things that I love most about this, as I've said, there are so many things that I love, but I really enjoyed watching Canon be sort of Neva's biggest cheerleader. Um, He's always on her side. And, you know, when I first was reading this, I was like, oh no, you know, is he going to be really concerned about the film and like be angry with her for you know keeping her illness to herself and that never happened he was just always right there he had her back he wanted the film to be a success obviously but he also wanted her to be healthy and he wasn't willing to like compromise <clears throat> her health for the film and I love that so much um Kennedy Ryan writes these super complex stories with characters who could just jump off the page, you know, like they could just become real people and they're incredible. Um, I'm hoping that she continues to write about these characters. I know that there's a novella that came out um, sometime in 2022, but I'm hoping for another full-length book set 
um, in this kind of Hollywood world because there was just so much about history and so much of the magic that we don't really see, you know, behind the scenes of like making a film like this. So this is Real, Hollywood Renaissance, book one by Kennedy Ryan. I think this is, um, I, I really like her books and I think she's an amazing author. And I think this is my favorite of her books. And now changing gears from my last book that I discussed, I offer you Highly Suspicious and Unfairly Cute by Talia Hibbert. Yay! This just came out last month. Sometime in January, I think. The 3rd of January. Ah, yes. Thank you. And it is Talia Hibbert's first YA book. And it's so much fun. It is funny and snarky and silly and ridiculous and all of those things. And yes, it is a romance. So we have Celine and Brad. Brad and Celine used to be best friends. Now they are best enemies. What is the saying, love to hate each other? I think that kind of applies here. They're sniping at each other all the time. But they still have to see each other, even though they're they're arch enemies. Because their moms are best friends. Because they go to the same high school and are in the same year. And they just can't get away from each other. Through a complicated series of events, Brad ends up applying for the same scholarship program that Celine applies for. This is no surprise that Celine applies for it. The program is run by one of her biggest idols. But Brad kind of feels like he's got to keep up and he really wants a scholarship. He wants the scholarship so that when he goes off university next year, he can pay for private accommodations and doesn't have to deal with a roommate. Celine wants the scholarship for all sorts of reasons that would be giving a lot away if I mentioned them here. So Brad and Celine both get into the program and this program is multi-pronged. They have to go spend time in the wilderness. Well, maybe not the wilderness wilderness, but the woods for two separate weeks. The first week they're trained in all kinds of wilderness survival skills and setting up tents and reading compasses and all that kind of thing. And the second trip is where they get to show off their skills. And they are ranked on all kinds of things like leadership, creative thinking, and eight more characteristics that I can't think of right now. So throughout the book, we see Celine and Brad 
in high school. We see them at each other's houses and we see them on their wilderness trips. They sort of decide that they need to become friends, that it's kind of silly for them to stay enemies. They work out the issue that kept them apart, but they also have, both have huge crushes on each other, which isn't really a surprise. It's a romance, right? So the very cool thing about this book and these characters is that both Brad and Celine have this really neat mix of self-acceptance and self-doubt. Celine's dad left her family when she was about eight or nine years old. And it's pretty clear she has a lot of insecurity, a lot of which is related to that. You know, there's also other stuff, being a teenage girl, being a person of color in a primarily white school, being a larger, rounder, fuller-figured girl than a lot of her peers. But yeah, she feels pretty insecure, pretty unsure of herself emotionally. And yet you really wouldn't guess it to look at her. She is really, really out there with the way she wears her makeup and her clothes and her jewelry. And she really takes no crap from anybody. Brad seems on the surface to be really, really confident. He is totally open about being bisexual. He shows up to the first wilderness adventure wearing a tracksuit that is half pink, half blue, which is basically most of the bisexual pride flag on his body. And he is very clear about letting us know who he is. He's also very clear about letting us know that he has obsessive compulsive disorder. Like he really has it, as in he's been diagnosed, he's been through therapy, and we get to watch him use his coping skills all the time. What Brad isn't so sure about is whether the rest of the world is going to accept him exactly the way he is. He knows who he is. He knows what he wants. He feels confident in his, abil his ability to manage his OCD with help. But he's not so sure that his friends are there behind him. He's not so sure that his family is right there behind him. And he's not so sure that his family will really support him in all of his life choices. Going on a journey with these two was really a lot of fun. There were a few points in the book where I could really feel that it was a YA book. And, you know, I'm a woman in my 40s. So some of that I'm not going to connect with as well. But it is still so worth it. These characters are fun. They're funny. 
it's romantic, it's silly, it's adventurous, it's ridiculous. It's tons and tons of character growth with Brad and Celine, both together and individually. It's just super, super fun. So that is highly suspicious and unfairly cute. Best title of the year, by the way, by Talia Hibbert. Talia Hibbert is amazing in like every possible way I could think of to list here. But one of the things that I loved most about this book is that even though it's a YA, which is different from the stuff that she's written previous, she it, it still is very, very identifiably her. Like you read this and her writing voice is very, very strong, very clear. There is no doubt as I read this um, that this was a Talia Hibbert book, even though it was written for a different age group than her previous books. The last book I'm going to talk about tonight is a new to me author. And oh my gosh, guys, I am going so out of character because not only am I going to talk about a slow burn romance, which I don't t- usually like very much. I love um, that. I mean, I like slow burn romances in the sense that I will read them and I will enjoy them, but you're not going to see me, you know, you talk about romance, you're not going to see me say, hey, this romance, it just made my heart go wild. And it, it was 20 hours of slow burn, but it was amazing. Like, Unless it's Karen Rose, Romantic Suspense, I'm not talking, that's not me. And a second book in a series? Me? Talk about a second book in a series. Oh, dear. This book, it was so awesome that I I read it in one night, even though it's slow burning, and I cleaned my whole house. So this is Always Only You. Yay! Birdman Brothers, book two, by Chloe Lees. This is my favorite. It is my favorite so far also, although granted I haven't finished the series, but I think it'll be my favorite regardless. No, I think the third one will be your favorite because it's a marriage no, in trouble. I read it also, but no, oh, okay. it was good, but, but I still like this one better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this is about Ren Birdman. Now the Birdman family, um, there are five brothers and two sisters. So this is Ren's story and he's a hockey player. And and he's very smitten by Frankie Zeferino, um, who he feels is worth waiting for because she has a secret heart of gold. The one dimpled smile makes his knees weak, but she's forbidden because she's part of the staff. And they are co-workers. So waiting has been the name of his game besides hockey. <laughs> and as long as they work together, well, there's no chance for a romance between them. So... Patience is his birth virtue, and he's kind of willing to wait because he feels like she's not going to work there forever because he thinks she's so amazing that she's going to go for bigger things. And once she leaves the team, well, it's uh, the an open field for him. Meanwhile, Frankie, um, she's kind of had a problem at work since Birdman joined the team. As she, you know, Ren, when she calls Birdman, because he is so nice and it makes her crazy crazy because she kind of considers herself a grump and not only that but um she is kind of different from everybody else and she has been diagnosed and with her diagnosis that she has which I don't want to ruin it just says diagnosis but obviously it's something that makes her different from everybody else um she feels like she's 
what she is to most people in her life is a problem and not a person, a problem that has to be solved. And so opening her heart to everybody, to anybody, no matter how sweet they are, no matter how nice they are, is the last thing she wants to do. But it's a little irresistible. And so this is an opposite attract forbidden sports romance about a nerdy late blooming hockey star and well his tough cookie co-worker who keeps both her soft side and her autism diagnosis to herself and uh this book is just so i i i think the word i want to look for is respectful i think you guys would agree have you guys read this book yes yeah it is so respectful and um i'm not autistic so i cannot say if it is a genuine representation right um and i don't think that anyone can because i feel like everybody is different no matter even you know you can have 10 people with the same disability in a room and they're all just people right so and they all have different different life experiences different ideas different you know because it's it's not it doesn't take away from what makes them human beings and I felt that respect here right um I felt uh both sides of the coin too as far as like family um family acceptance and family rejection and the worst which all of us who are have any kind of disability can understand well-meaning family uh, rejection um which is I think the most painful and uh the most impossible to get past because how do you get past well-meaning rejection and i feel like the romance in this book um doesn't get past all of this because you know you can't really get past the family you come in you you are born in but more like um what you say like ameliorates it and um it's kind of it's kind of like olivia date in the sense where they teach each other how to accept themselves, but just in a more, it's just so much more than that. I don't even have enough words. Um, It does have some of that. It does have self-acceptance. It does have um, positivity that needs to be accomplished. Um, But it's more like somebody who has already accepted herself and already, you know, accepted, this is my life. This is who I am. This is what my life's going to be. And I'm okay with it. And then somebody comes into her life and shows her how much better her life can be and why she deserves all the things she thought and accepted that she wasn't ever going to have in her life. And I think that's that's really, really beautiful. And of course, I love books about big families. Uh, and, you know, there's, I had a lot of laughter. I had a lot of fun. Um, I learned a lot of things. And, and as I said, I, I read it in one cleaning instead of one sitting, you know, one cleaning. So this is always only you, Birdman Brothers book two by Chloe Lise, who is a new author to me and who I very much enjoy. I love Chloe Lise so yes, much. Chloe Lise is everything. She's an own voices author, which I think is amazing. And she writes neurodivergent characters um, with such, um, well, sensitivity, but also, um, she makes that a part of their story, not the entire story. And I really yes. appreciate that about her. Um, and she just does a lot of really great representation in her novels. I'm so excited to talk about my final book tonight because I 
<laughs> I think this book does not get enough love. And I, it, I really enjoyed it um, when I read it for the first time last year. And this is The Accidental Pinup, and it's by Danielle Jackson. This book is about Cassie Harris. She is a photographer in Chicago, and she, uh, her photography company is called Buxom Boudoir. And so what they do is they help people to, um, they take sexy photos of people um, wherever they're at, like whatever their body type and the whole, the whole um, sort of aim of this company is to make people feel beautiful in whatever body that they have. And Cassie absolutely loves her job as a photographer for this company. Um, her best friend, Dana, is about to launch a new um, fabulous lingerie line for all body types. And so she is hoping that, and th the plan is that Cassie is going to be the photographer for this launch um, for all of this, if all of these things. And that Dana is going to model all of the lingerie. Well, between company politics and Dana's rather complicated pregnancy, Cassie learns that she will actually not be chosen as the photographer for this new lingerie line. Oh, no, she's not. She's actually, you know, it's going to go to her chief competitor in, in Chicago, Reed Montgomery. And Reed Montgomery is a handsome white man who seems to kind of scoop all of the things that you know, that Cassie has wanted to shoot over the years. And there's, you know, he seems to always be there, like at the, the different shoots that she's at the different, you know, and it's, it's been, he's kind of the bane of her existence, the black fly in her Chardonnay, if you will, you know, just all the things. And for whatever reason, the company that's helping to launch this new lingerie line doesn't want to go with, with Cassie as a photographer. They want to go with Reed Montgomery. But that's okay because they want Ca they want Cassie to be the one to actually model the lingerie. Now Cassie is um, a plus size black woman who is comfortable with her body. She thinks you know she'll be fine, like modeling all of the underwear and the the different like bralettes and all the different things that are part of this line. But what she's not sure about is if she'll be able to work with Reed because of all the grief she feels has come from him over the years as she's trying to get herself more known in the photography scene in Chicago and beyond. He's always there. But as they begin to work together, Cassie learns more about Reed and, you know, more about where he's coming from. And Reed also um, is a huge admirer of Cassie, of her looks, her beauty, but also of her work. And so, you know, slowly over time, um, as they work together um, and he is, you know, taking pictures of this incredibly sexy woman in this new incredibly sexy lingerie, the sort of tide of their relationship begins to turn just a bit. I love this book a lot. It's very body positive, um, but it also has a great cast of secondary characters. Um, I love books that also have like strong female friendships and just like yes. strong, like diverse friendships in general, where like people get together for like a friend's giving, like all that stuff, like fills me with ridiculous amounts of joy. And so this book has it all. It has a really great kind of slow burn enemies to lovers feeling romance. Um, 
it has a lot of great positive fat representation, great body positivity. Um, I love all the descriptions of the sexy lingerie. I love the, the, the secondary characters. There's just so much to love about this book, which is why I continue to be completely, I don't understand why um, it did not get higher ratings um, and better reviews. I think this is, um, I think she's an amazing author. It's my understanding this was her debut. I just got excited as I, I pulled up this synopsis just to make sure I had everybody's names correct. And I see that she has another book coming out um, in uh, later this year. So you can bet um, a PIX episode in August is going to include me talking about her next book. But anyway, Yay. there's so much to love about this. So if you enjoy a good glittering contemporary romance that has just all the things that I talked about, um, plus a really healthy, wonderful dose of body positivity and discussion of sort of white male privilege in a very nice way um, that really helps you to kind of understand like where Cassie's coming from versus where Reed, his understanding is at. I mean, this book has just all the things. It's like the perfect book for right this moment in the world. So again, this is The Accidental Pinup and it's by Danielle Jackson. And I beg you please to read it because it is just such a lovely, lovely, wonderful book. It is on my list. Like in the next couple of days. Oh, it's really good. It's delightful. So my last book tonight is kind of a departure from the other stuff that we've been talking about and definitely a departure in what I normally read. So I'm not usually a fan of like anthologies, um, mm -hmm. but this one I felt was really, really special. So this is Disability Visibility. First Person Stories from the 21st Century, edited by Alice Wong. And this was put out just before the 30th anniversary of the ADA. So this looks at disability in all of its forms, but from like through the lens of people who actually live in the world with disabilities. Um, this is, I think it goes very nicely with what we were saying um, for Natalia's last book, where we talked about people just happen to have disabilities. It's not everything about you. It's not the most important thing about you. It may not even be the most interesting thing about you. It's just one of the many facets that make people who they are. And I think through this book, through a series of like poetry essays. There's even a, a eulogy um, that someone wrote for the funeral of one of their loved ones. It's just this wonderful look at what it means to be a person living in the world in the 21st century diagnosed with a disability. This runs the spectrum from people who are neurodivergent to people who are blind, people who have mobility impairments, and people who also have multiple disabilities. Um, it's, a, it's a quick read because, you know, the essays move pretty quickly, but it's also a really intense and thought-provoking read 
that examines so many things about just living day to day with a disability and what that means. Um, it looks at kind of how people feel about themselves, their bodies, their abilities. It's not always like a rainbow and sunshine book, which I appreciate because while I don't think that being a person with a disability is like, you know, the most terrible thing in life. I also don't think that it's like God's gift to me either. Um, I think there are definitely, you know, positive and negative things about it, just like with anything else. And I love the way all of these people were able to tell their stories um, in, in a way that feels authentic and real and perhaps can give people who aren't disabled a, a glimpse into the worlds of people that exist alongside them in the world. So this is Disability Visibility, first person stories from the 21st century, edited by Alice Wong. And it is- to my TBR. Yeah, it's available. Um, in audio and ebook, um, it's just I think so so impactful, um, and it's one of those books that I I want people to read. And even if it's not sort of your normal type of book, um, as it isn't for me, I think it's just so incredibly important. And finally. Since I'm only allowed to discuss three books this time around. This and Tell by Adib Karam. I love Adib Karam's work so much, starting with Darius the Great is Not Okay. Darius the Great. Also an excellent book title, but that's not what I'm talking about today. Today I'm talking about Kiss and Tell, which I did not think I was going to read because it's about a boy band. <laughs> I didn't even have interest in boy bands when I was a preteen and a teenager, let alone <laughs> now that I'm in my 40s. But this is such a good book. It's particularly excellent in audio, if that is a medium that you enjoy reading. So Hunter is the lead singer in a boy band called Kiss and Tell. Hunter is about to go on his first giant Canada-US tour. And he and his band are really excited. His fans are really excited. Hunter's a little stressed, though. There's a lot of pressure on him from management, from media, especially since he and his boyfriend just broke up a month or two ago. Inconveniently enough, his ex-boyfriend is the twin brother of one of his bandmates. It's getting complicated, isn't it? So it's a little hard to tell this story without giving a lot away. 
So what I will say is that this book is a journey through the tour. We get to see Hunter at his best and at his worst. We get to see him start to have feelings for and with the lead singer of the band who's opening for him, Kaivon. Kaivon's the name of the singer. So we see him going through the repercussions of his breakup and the excitement and uncertainty of new possible love. We see him negotiating friendships with his friends in the band. We see him continuing to figure out his queer identity, even though he has been out for about five years now. And we see him wrestling with some really big stuff. Basically, his ex-boyfriend leaks some of their text conversations to the media and social media. Conversations in which they talked about their sex lives. And I was really moved by the way this was handled here because we don't often get to see boys dealing with invasions into their sexuality. We don't often get to see the ways that teenagers can really be cruel to each other around this very sensitive piece of themselves. It really is this odd straddling of young adulthood and adulthood watching young men trying to figure out who he is outside of all the fame and fortune, outside of being an ex-boyfriend, watching who he is being a gay man with not a lot of other gay men or even queer people around to really connect to and really learn from. He fixes that himself later in the book in some kind of horrifying and really, really funny ways, uh, which I will have to let you experience for yourself. And we also see the ways that the media exploits young people, especially famous young people like this. There's a really creepy scene towards the beginning of the book where he's in an interview and the second half of the interview is this segment about brunch. Cause you know, he's a young gay man. So of course he wants to talk to the newscasters about brunch. And watching the way these two cis women are behaving towards this 17 year old gay young man, touching him and talking to him and complimenting the way his jeans fit him and ah. all of this stuff. Yeah, it's really yucky. Fortunately, Hunter and his bandmates have a really great manager 
and a couple of other really great adults who are on their side and who really, really show some great ways that adults can support young people, step in for them when necessary, and also guide them towards voicing what they want and making their own decisions. So I could go on and on about this, but it's a really cool book about self-discovery, which is not what I expected when I first learned about it. So again, that's Kiss and Tell by Ediv Karam. Karam. This is sitting on my iPad. Hopefully, I will read it soon. So this concludes our discussion of books featuring body positivity and or self-acceptance. Thank you to Robin, who did not record with the rest of us tonight, um, but recorded with me separately. And to Natalia, who is coming down with some kind of yucky illness. So I appreciate her time. And to Stacy, who is very flexible with our starting time tonight. Um, for joining me to talk about so many of these fantastic and important books. Thanks, as always, goes out to Christine for all of her editing, especially when we're doing this in more than one recording. And, of course, I thank each and every one of you so much for joining us each week as we talk about great books. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.